0: I tell the honest stories behind the facade of women's issues, alternative health, and life in general. As a retired midwife, I no longer have a horse in the race of health care. Covering birth, death, parenting, and the female experience, whatever that is and however that looks. If it happened to someone who identifies as female, it's fair game. welcome to my show midwife talks i'm lindy casey retired midwife i discuss anything and everything but mostly women's health crunchy stuff and birth stories pardon the sound of children in the background chelsea and nick shared their birth story on youtube on july 26 2021 they're popular youtubers with one and a half million followers for subscribers I wondered if their choice to have a home birth had anything to do with the ongoing pandemic that caused a lot of people to choose home birth over hospital birth at that time. I think that one of the main reasons was that it was said that hospitals were not letting husbands go in with women or they were limiting in who could come in and visit them. And there was the whole issue with masks. A lot of women were very concerned about wearing a mask while in labor. They thought that it would be difficult to breathe or relax with a mask on their faces. So maybe this is why Chelsea and Nick chose home birth, or maybe they had some underlying or deep-seated philosophical reason for having their baby at home. I'll be commenting and adding my two cents as I watch this video. As always, I won't be insulting their choices, though I might point out where things could have been better if something else had happened. All of the opinions I express are my own unless I cite sources. Chelsea's labor was ongoing on July 12, 2021. It was about 6.30 in the morning, and that's how the video opens, with Chelsea breathing and rocking her hips and looking like she's experiencing some discomfort during contractions. Although, because this is her first baby, I wouldn't be surprised if she's earlier in labor than her reactions would tend to make me think. She's praying for guidance or help from God and Jesus. This isn't actually unusual for women to do because a lot of women feel like God can save them or protect them from what they're experiencing. But the truth is that birth is birth and you're going to have to go through it no matter what. She says the contractions are getting longer and harder and closer together. That's really normal and a sign that labor's getting established. So generally, labor starts just with a contraction here and there. They're short, less than 30 seconds long, and you can talk through them, although you don't have the perspective yet of what labor feels like at the end, so you might think that it's really strong at that point. It will probably get stronger. She said she's going to have Nick film from then on, and that's probably a really good idea because it's hard to do anything other than what's going on with your body once you're in labor. However, the exception is if you're very early in labor, It might be good to distract yourself by filming or do some other activity. The other side of that coin is that if you're filming, you might be tempted to demonstrate for your viewers what you're experiencing. Generally, what we do when we're experiencing pain is we screw up our faces. We make sounds of pain and we look like we're in pain. When you do that, you actually experience more pain because your focus is on the pain and just the act of screwing up your face and tightening up your shoulders causes kind of a domino effect throughout your entire body of tension which increases your discomfort. She also says that her mother has been texting her and she doesn't want to respond. Her mother's saying something like, one more week to go, which is funny because it's not like she has a turkey timer stuck in her leg. The baby is full term and will come when it comes. This is a really good strategy on her part to not inform everybody of what's going on. She is just keeping it on the down low at that point. The reason why you shouldn't tell everybody that you're in labor early on is because if it stops, then everybody is anxious about you being in labor. If it continues and you notified them very early in the process, it's possible that they'll, from their own experiences of labor or from movies or stories they've heard, They'll get concerned and antsy and start messaging you that something must be wrong. Your midwife's horrible. You should be at the hospital. You should be taking drugs. All of those comments will increase your anxiety which also increases your discomfort. Chelsea mentions that she's had three bowel movements in the middle of the night. That's really normal and whether it's the hormones changing the muscle movement in your intestines or whether it's some other part of labor that causes you to clean out your lower bowels Whatever it is, it's really common to poop in labor. It is even common to poop at the moment of birth. Nick wasn't there at that moment because she'd sent him to Target to buy her something to wear in the birth pool. She wanted something non-revealing or modest as well as not tight. It's pretty common for women to believe that they will want to be wearing something modest when they're in labor. It's also pretty common for women to lose all modesty in labor and just strip off their clothes. Women who would otherwise never take off their clothes in front of people other than maybe their spouse or their doctor will quickly and easily just pull off their clothes, pull up their nightgown, pull off their shirt because their focus is on what they're going through and not on their modesty. There's no time stamp on the video for these different scenes, so I don't really know how much time has passed, but she expresses that she's thinking of all the things she has to do, She says she needs to finish editing a video of her nursery for her YouTube channel, and she probably is really concerned about that. You'll notice between contractions, she's perfectly normal. The way contractions work is it starts, and then it goes up to a peak, and then it goes back down. Then you get a break, and during that break, you're perfectly normal, and generally you're completely pain-free. There's no discomfort at all. It appears that she doesn't Feel any pain at all and the only emotion she seems to be showing is distress over the fact that she has things she wanted to do before she had her baby and she didn't expect the baby to come one week before her due date a word about due dates so your due date is generally 40 weeks from the first day of your last period and because we're all different it's very much dependent upon a lot of factors one of those factors is how long your menstrual cycle lasts So if you start on day one with your period beginning and you ovulate on, let's say, day 18 and not day 14, you didn't actually conceive until day 18, which is a difference of four days from the average. The average is ovulating on day 14. If you didn't ovulate until, say, day 25, that's a difference of 11 days, and that's a huge difference. So you have to take that into consideration, how long your cycles are. The other thing to consider is that all babies take different amounts of time and so some babies might be ready to be born at 37 weeks. Some babies might be ready to be born at 42 weeks and you really have to consider that too. The other thing is that you're full term at 37 weeks gestation. 42 weeks or even 43 weeks is generally the longest you should let a pregnancy go without some sort of intervention and encouragement for labor to start. So her having her labor start on her 39th week isn't unusual at all. Her baby is fully cooked. Her body is obviously ready and the baby is ready and there's nothing about this birth that is happening early or in any way prematurely. I know a lot of my listeners are really into doing things the natural way and being self-sufficient. My daughter Christina is the same way and had a dream of owning a farm. While the acreage she pined for didn't pan out, she began to live her dream where she was, on a city lot in the midst of a metro area. She raises chickens for eggs and manure, grows vegetables and fruits, and she preserves what she produces. You can watch what she's up to and learn some things about urban farming on her YouTube channel, Casey Urban Farm. Recently, she's covered dry canning, tomato growing, and different types of raised growing beds. I love that I can walk through her urban oasis every day and see fresh flowers, organic foods, all to the farmy sounds of a rooster crowing. Now you can too. Visit youtube.com slash KC Urban Farm to see what's growing. That's youtube.com slash Urban Farm. C-A-S-E-Y-U-R-B-A-N-F-A-R-M. At some point, Chelsea and Nick called the doula to come. A doula is a person, usually a woman, who has been trained to provide physical and emotional support to a birthing couple. That support might involve back rubs, it might involve suggestions of position changes, it might involve saying some positive affirmations. I've seen doulas that provided essential oils or special drinks, all sorts of things. Sometimes, at hospitals, doulas also act as kind of a go-between between between the staff and the birthing woman. The reason why that might be useful is because the medical staff usually speaks in medical talk, and so they're using terms or expressions that they're very familiar with and very comfortable using, but that a layman might not understand, or it might even sound scary. The other part of being that go-between is not only to interpret that language, but also to interpret your language to the medical staff. For instance, a doula that knows you well will know that the way you're acting or the way you look or the sounds you're making are indicative of you being extremely distressed. Whereas the nurse might think "But this sounds like a pretty normal behavior. So the doula can say to the nurse, this is outside of normal for her and I believe that she has a problem going on. The nurse can then react to that in a medical way. A doula's job isn't to get in an argument with the medical staff or to become combative with a doctor or to usurp the husband or other partner's role. She has a very specific role, and it's not to take over the role of a midwife or doctor or nurse or spouse or mother at all. So it's very important that when you consider hiring a doula, that you don't go by the assumption that your doula is going to be able to protect you from the hospital staff. That's not the doula's job. It's your job to make sure that you've hired a medical team that's going to treat you the way you want to be treated and is going to meet your needs. Chelsea's labor looks like it's ramped up and she's chosen a position of kneeling and leaning on the bed. This is a really good position, especially if the baby is posterior. Sometimes people call that being sunny side up, which means the baby's face is pointing towards the front of the mother's body with the baby's back towards the mother's back. It's said to be a little more uncomfortable to labor in that position because the baby has a less yielding part of its body against the less yielding part of the mother's body, her spine. It's considered to be more comfortable and more expedient to have the baby be in an anterior position so that the baby's looking back towards the mother's hip or back, like her tailbone, with the baby's back towards the mother's front so that the baby can sort of curve around with their soft spots towards the mother's back. It also allows for the baby's head to fit into her pelvis better. Chelsea mentions that she's experiencing a dull pain in her lower back between contractions, and the doula questions her about where that pain is and what it feels like. It's pretty common to feel some other sensations between contractions as the baby moves down and labor progresses. The doula gives some other advice about trying to not pay too much attention to it, and Chelsea chooses some different music to listen to, probably to attempt distraction, She's smiling and even chewing gum and has now gotten into the birth pool. Being in a birth pool can be really useful for giving some relief from pain in labor but it has a limit. Generally you shouldn't get into the birth pool until you're six or seven centimeters dilated because it's only going to give pain relief for a little while. You don't want to wear it out and use it up too soon and then not have it available to you when you get to the point where you have to push or when labor gets really advanced. I do think it was interesting that Nick brought her something to eat, and she's smiling, still perfectly normal in between contractions, which makes me think she's probably about five centimeters dilated at this point. There's a notation on the video that labor is amped up. Chelsea still looks really comfortable and relaxed in between contractions, and she's expressing that she's concerned that it's taking too much time and she doesn't want to be a bother. The doula reassures her that there's no problem with taking up the time. It's important to remember that the doula is there for you, however long that takes. Don't be concerned that it's taking too long because that concern leads to anxiety. Anxiety leads to an increase in adrenaline and adrenaline can stop or slow down labor. You want to make sure beforehand you understand the limits of your birth team. And if they say, we only stay for five hours, Well, that's important to know. I can't imagine a doula ever saying that, but you never know. There might be someone out there that puts time limits on their services. Generally, you call them and they stay until the baby's born. Some of them even stay after the baby's born and help you with some of the early times of getting breastfeeding established and the first time you get up to go pee and making up your bed so that it's comfortable for you to sleep in. At that point, labor did seem to get really strong and the midwife wasn't there yet. Chelsea was making noises like she was probably in transition or maybe getting close to being fully dilated. She moved to the sofa and Nick was providing her with a little bit of extra air with a tiny, tiny fan, which I thought was funny. I would probably have gotten out the industrial fan and blasted her so that her hair blew backwards because it's hard work having a baby and moms often get really hot. I also thought it was cool that she was starting to make those birth song sounds kind of a humming low sound from the chest. It's really important that you keep those sounds low and from the chest or from the abdomen and not in the throat. Sounds originating in the throat actually cause your throat to get sore and cause muscle tension in your body, which again turns into more discomfort for you. I don't like it when a lady is at the end of her labor on a sofa and I'll tell you why. If she has a nice sofa and her water breaks or she suddenly starts pushing, the sofa will be destroyed. It's really hard to control the flow of body fluids, like blood, water, whatever, to not go down behind the cushions or not go over the edge of the front. You could drape that sofa from front to back, but the nature of a sofa is that when you lay down on it, or sit on it, it pulls down, it sinks down on the cushions where then you form a little dip. And that little dip becomes a pool when you have amniotic fluid or blood coming out. So I don't like ladies to labor on sofas. Also, they're really soft generally, and though really soft sounds like it's a good idea, what happens is your butt sinks down into the sofa. And so if you start pushing suddenly, unexpectedly, then you're pushing your baby out directly into the cushions, which makes it harder for the baby. It makes it harder for the midwife too. It's just a difficult situation all the way around. I actually like it when ladies labor on the floor. There's a lot of different reasons for that too, in my mind. One is that you're not mentally constrained by the dimensions of a mattress or sofa or chair or whatever. You can be more free with your position because you've got the whole floor to move around on. You can stretch out. You can do whatever you want. You can make a nest with pillows. Walmart sells cheap pillows that if you don't want to wash them, you could just throw them away afterwards. And with that, you can prop up arms, legs, bellies. You can get up on your hands and knees. You can crawl around. You can really do whatever you want. You can even have a chair right next to you which can help immensely all of these things are very good for just positioning so chelsea's lying on the sofa and nick is there with the tiny little fan pointing at her she says there's a whole lot of stuff going on inside her body boy is that ever the truth there is a lot of stuff going on as labor progresses as dilation increases the baby's going to be moving down Hormones are going to be increasing. All of these things puts the lady in a whole different place mentally and emotionally and physically. By 3 p.m. Chelsea was 8 centimeters and back in the tub. Nick mentions that she looks like she just stumbled out of a bar. I thought that was pretty funny because women do have kind of a in-the-zone look about them when they're in late labor. Their energy is focused in a different way and they may feel extreme exhaustion. Such extreme tiredness that they cannot even roll over and you have to position their arms and legs for them. They may fall asleep between contractions, even if they had a good night's sleep the night before. In this case, Chelsea's eyes were half-masked and she did kind of look a little stoned. I call it being in the zone. One of my clients' husband once called it being zen because you have to sort of just put your head into a different place and if you don't put it in that place, it can be really, really scary or it can be disturbing to the people watching you. You don't want to fight it. You just want to surrender. At that point, it looks like Chelsea had surrendered to labor. She'd come to that physical conclusion, but she'd also come to that emotional conclusion. Although there's no announcement that she's fully dilated, I notice that she's pushing. She's holding on to Nick's hand and pulling it towards her. She's also grasping the side of the birth pool. When the contraction is over, her hand relaxes and she goes back into the zone and seems to just kind of be in her own head. The midwife is obviously there by now and she's checking the baby's heartbeat frequently. It's important to do that because at that point, the baby is descending and you want to make sure that the baby still sounds strong and good during and between contractions to indicate that the cord isn't causing any kind of issue or the baby isn't in any kind of trouble. It looked like the midwife had an instrument that is used to break water in her hand. She was definitely at the business end of Chelsea and she had something long and slender in her hand and it looked like it was inserted into Chelsea's vagina. It might just be the cord from the Doppler, I really can't be sure. But let me, let me just talk about breaking water here for a second. Now, breaking the water is pretty common for a lot of midwives, and many more doctors do this also. The thought is that the water, which is probably a bulging bag at that point with the contractions, impedes birth. And that might be true. It does seem like birth happens pretty quick after the water breaks. But what also happens is that labor feels a lot more intense after your water breaks. You don't have the cushion of water between the baby's head and your bones to sort of soften that sensation during contractions. Nick announces that part of the baby's body is out of her. This is probably the head because no one has said that this is a breech baby. The head is the hardest part to get out because it's the largest part of the baby's body, and it is literally hard. So getting the head out is the most difficult part. Once the head is out, the body usually comes in the next contraction or the contraction after that, and that is always a moment for rejoicing. It's also kind of funny that it's really almost universal that when people see the baby's head out, they want to touch it. I'm not exactly sure why that is, maybe some instinctual thing that's built into our DNA, but it's almost universal that a husband or midwife will reach out and touch the baby's head at that point. It's not really necessary to touch the baby's head at that point if everything is going well. Someone off camera said the baby doesn't seem to be bothered. Now when you consider that the baby is being born underwater, so his head is underwater, that might sound like, oh my gosh, the baby's going to drown. The truth is that there's a whole cascade of events that happen as soon as the baby's body touches the air. That's generally when they take in a breath. He was underwater just moments before on the inside of Chelsea, and now he's outside her body, but he's still underwater, And if he's not in any distress, he's not going to attempt to breathe air because he doesn't have air on his face yet. When his entire body is out and his face comes into the air, he will. The cord is still attached, so he's still getting oxygen. He is fine. In this case, the midwife is looking at the baby's face. She's monitoring how he's doing, and she can see if he starts looking like he's distressed and needs to come out faster, rather than letting Chelsea take her time pushing out his body. Many of you know about my side gigs. I want to take a moment to talk about one of them, a little series of easy reader books I write that I'm super proud of. It's called Kids on C Street, and it's all about some children who lived on one street in one small town in the 1960s. Hashtag Boulder City, Nevada. Every book includes a list of all the words in the story and has been rated to reading level, which is usually first to third grade. I write the books for my great-grandchildren, but your kids can read them too, and I hope you'll enjoy a little wholesome trip down memory lane. You can find them on Amazon or Barnes & Noble. Search for Kids on C Street by Lindy Casey. With one long, extended push, the midwife says, Chelsea, sit up and meet your baby. The baby's been born. It's 5.53 p.m. He's crying, he's pinking up nicely. Chelsea, however, does something interesting. A lot of times, especially in movies or other edited films, we see moms immediately grasp the baby to their chest, and you see that sort of stereotypical mother-child bonding. In reality, there's almost a pause between giving birth and greeting your baby that happens sometimes, and it's perfectly normal. The mother has to make this transition from being in pain and doing this big deal with her body to now greeting her child. She might feel an immediate bond, but sometimes she doesn't. Sometimes she has to sort of form that bond and let it build oxytocin, which is a natural hormone in your body, can contribute to that bonding, but whatever those circumstances are that happens in that moment, sometimes the mother needs that pause. In this case, Chelsea holds her baby out against her legs and looks very intently at his face. I thought it was kind of neat. And as she brings him to her, she leans her head back and cries. Not only has this baby been born, but the mother has been born. She's gone from being a young woman, childless, in a different relationship with her body, to now she has a child and she's completely reinvented. After cataloging all the different parts of her baby and noticing that his nose looks like hers and his ears look like Nick's and how his little bottom feels against her hand, she apologizes again for taking up a lot of her birth team's time. They reassure that this was not the case. Her labor lasted from the time she began her video till the birth. 11 and a half hours, which is really a standard average time for labor. And I hope if Chelsea ever hears this, she has been reassured that she did not waste anyone's time. Her labor was normal and everyone was happy to be there. The midwife asks Chelsea to get out of the tub and onto the bed before the placenta comes because she's starting to feel some of that low down crampiness of the placenta coming. When the placenta comes, it actually usually detaches from the uterus and then kind of sits in the vagina, which right now at that point is stretched out. And it can feel sometimes like you have to poop because it's sitting right on the inside of your rectum. So often just getting upright will make it come out with a plop. The midwife asked her to get out of the tub and told her to just hold on to the baby because he was still attached, the cord wasn't cut yet, and to get onto her knees. What I always did is I would have the partner get on one side with me on the other. I'd grasp her arm under her armpit with him grasping her arm on the other armpit and we would just kind of cantilever her up to her feet. A woman is incredibly exhausted after she's given birth. She feels wobbly and shaky and unable to move and everything seems overwhelming. It's even hard to take a breath because all your guts have kind of gone boom down where your uterus was so full just a moment before. So to ask her to get to her knees and to stand up on her own, hmm, that seems pretty difficult to do. But in this case, it doesn't appear they helped her, and she did get up under her own steam and move to the bed. The placenta was delivered 15 minutes after birth, which is really fast, but the cord wasn't cut for an hour and a half, which is true delayed cord clamping. Some doctors believe that one or two minutes, even five minutes if they're very generous, is enough time to delay cord clamping. But people who believe that delayed cord clamping is a good idea really want to see a good period of time between birth and when the cord is cut. They want the baby to have every opportunity to get every last drop of blood that's in the placenta that belongs to them. However, getting all that blood can sometimes make the baby more prone to having some physiological jaundice after the birth. And that might be one reason why doctors don't like to do it because they have to treat it according to their protocols and that can cause problems with releasing a baby from the hospital. In this case, because Chelsea was at home, she wouldn't have to worry about that and she could monitor the baby on her own with the midwife's help, taking into consideration that the baby had delayed cord clamping and might get physiological jaundice. The baby weighed seven pounds, fourteen ounces, and was twenty and a half inches long. That's a good size for a newborn, not too big, not too little. Chelsea surprised her family, facetiming with them on her phone to tell them that her baby had been born. They had no idea that she'd been in labor, so it was quite a surprise. And I'm sure everybody was very, very happy. After Nick made chicken alfredo for them for dinner, they began their new life as parents, welcoming this little fellow into their lives. His name is Hudson. Congratulations, Chelsea and Nick. Would you like another way you can ask a question or comment on an episode? Well, now you can text me at 715 five seven five nine four two zero with your comments and questions by texting my number you understand and agree that i may read and respond to your message in a future episode i do not answer that phone number i only receive texts on it that's all for this episode thanks for listening i appreciate every one of you and remember if you want to support what i do then share, subscribe, and leave a review wherever you get your podcasts. If you have anything you'd like to add to this subject, you can be part of the conversation. Go to anchor.fm slash midwife talks and click on the message button. That's anchor.fm slash midwife talks. I'll see you in the next episode of Midwife Talks. Links to more information about the topics covered in this show can be found under the podcast tab.